Welcome to family. Our Bible reading for today is taken from Matthew chapter 6, verses 11 to 15. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, once again, good morning, everybody. It's uh, lovely for me to be back with you and uh, opening up God's Word. For me, it's uh, it's Friday morning, uh, 9 o'clock. We're recording this for you. It's uh, Sunday morning. I've got Proud here again who's recording for me. You need to know it's been quite uh, tough for us getting used to preaching to a camera because the camera gives you no, no feedback and... Uh, Proud is even worse because he's a tough crowd. Um, but uh, it's good for us to be together, isn't it? It's great to be together and to sit under the authority of God's word. We're looking at Matthew chapter 6. We're looking at the Lord's Prayer. And um, this this week, uh, it's the third part in our series in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6. And this this morning, we're looking at verses 11 through to verse 15. I hope you found it as helpful as as I have. Um, you know what I've discovered just the last uh, two, three weeks as we've been working through the Lord's Prayer is that in sort of idle moments when you're driving or you're walking or just um, mulling things over, that I've that I've slowly said the Lord's Prayer to myself. And, and it's, it's just been so lovely. And um, I really would encourage you to do it. And uh, it's just given great peace of heart, um, praying the Lord's Prayer. Now, just to say that uh, we're ending our series, we've had, this is our third week in the Lord's Prayer. And then next week, we're starting a new series in the book of Colossians. And uh, we're going to spend eight weeks in the book of Colossians. So you may want to read the first chapter. I'll be opening up next week at the first chapter 1, verse 1 to 14. And then after that, towards the end of the year, uh, we're going to do a six-week series in the book of Job. So uh, that's going to be great. I think that's a very relevant book for all of us. Uh, so that'll be later in the year. But next year, next week, beg your pardon, we'll be looking at Colossians. So let me, let me, uh, let me pray. I need to pray. And ask God to help us. I finished the sermon at midnight last night. So uh, let me pray that it's not a flop. Uh, so let's, uh, let's, let's pray together. Father, we pray that uh, you, would, uh, you would indeed quieten our hearts, our minds. Lord, they so often go racing around. Um, and we pray that you may focus our thoughts and our hearts, that we may hear the voice of God as we read the word of God. And so we pray for the spirit of God to speak to us and to open his word to us and to change us. Work amongst us now, Lord, as we sit under the authority of your word. And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. 
Well, let me quickly recap uh, what we've looked at the last uh, two weeks as we end off our series in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, if you missed out on any of those talks, please go back to them, uh, especially last week. I thought Royden did a wonderful, wonderful job in verse 9 and 10. In fact, I listened to it again. I listened to it last Sunday morning, and then on Wednesday, I listened it, uh, to it again, and it actually got better. And um, so so if you missed last week, you must go and listen to uh, how Royden opened up for us, uh, verse 9 and 10. But remember, the first week we saw that the Lord's Prayer is a prayer to our Father in heaven. And we saw that prayer is talking, words spoken by us to God. So if God is is personal, then speech is the way that persons relate to one another. So quite obviously, we will relate to God through speech and through words. So prayer is not primarily a feeling. It will affect our feelings. It should affect our feelings, our emotions. But it's not primarily a feeling. It's not an experience. It's not a mystical experience. It's not getting in touch with your inner consciousness. It's not contemplating your navel. No, it's words spoken by God's children to God, whom we have the awesome privilege to call Father. We also saw that prayer is based on a relationship. Um... So, in a sense, only Christians can really pray the Lord's Prayer. You can only call God your Father if you have trusted in His Son, if you have received His grace, if you've received His Spirit. So, prayer is when a sinner like like, like you and me, uh, having been saved by God's incredible grace, uh, can now talk to the God of heaven and earth and call Him Dearest Father, dear Dad. Then last week, uh, from uh, verse nine and ten, that um, that Royden so wonderfully picked up, the disciples said, "You bring us t- into a revolution." That's really what this is. Give us a revolution song. And Jesus said, just so that you don't misunderstand the. The revolution isn't about you. It's actually about God. It's uh, our Father in heaven. Your name be hallowed. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And remember what, what Royden said last week. The whole prayer, not just the second half, but the whole prayer is actually about our needs. Let me explain that. Our need for God's glory and our need for God's grace. So our greatest need is not my glory, it's God's glory. Your name. My greatest need is not my kingdom, it's God's kingdom. My greatest need is not my will, it's God's will. So the greatest human need is for us to be God-centered, not man-centered. Men and women in their makeup, in their DNA, we are created to live for God, not for ourselves. In fact, when we live for ourselves, we muck it up. Just look around you. So, verse 9 and 10, we pray, your name, your kingdom, your will. Then from verse 11, which is our passage this morning, we pray, give us, forgive us, lead us. So, as I said, the whole prayer is what we need, not just the second half. 
So perhaps we can say the first half is our need for God's glory, and the second half is our need for God's grace. And the three requests, there are three requests here in the second half of the Lord's Prayer. And it's really what Jesus thinks our greatest needs are. So we may, we may have our own shopping list, but actually Jesus tells us what our greatest needs are. And our first greatest need is not our glory, but God's glory. And when we understand that, we then pray for God's grace. His grace in daily provision, the bread, his grace in daily pardon, forgive us, and his grace in daily protection from evil. So, so the, three, the three requests affects material and spiritual and moral. And uh, we're going to unpack those three requests uh, under those three headings, daily provision, daily pardon, and daily protection. Let's dig in. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, almost every word there has something to teach us. The first word is give. Now, one of God's names is Jehovah Jireh, which means God is our provider, which, which reminds us that we are totally dependent upon God every day for everything. So God doesn't just work when there's a crisis. God doesn't just work in unusual ways or miraculous ways. No, God is the one who provides for all our daily needs. Think about this. If God was to withdraw oxygen from your lungs, my lungs, for 10 minutes, only 10 minutes, you can time it, um, you'd be dead. Think about that. We're totally dependent upon God. In a sense, this one word is symbolic of a true Christian. Just, just notice, it's, it's not a demanding word. It's a depending word. So before you and I were Christians, we were independent. We were autonomous. We were self-made women, self-made men. I'm the master of my own fate. I'm the Lord of my own life. That's who we were instinctively the true Christian understands profoundly that I am dependent not independent God created me God recreated me God sustains me God is the source of all life everything he provides for all my needs so when we say give it's not a demanding word it's a depending word it affirms our total dependence on God even for the basic necessities of life like bread. We are, so I mentioned this, we are hardwired to be dependent, not to be independent. So when you get that wrong, you're going to get it wrong your whole life. It's all going to be out of sync because you misunderstand your true human nature. True human nature, our true DNA, our true genetics is we are meant, we are created, we are purposed to be dependent, not independent. And when we live our whole lives independent, by and large, we muck it up. No, we are dependent. That's what we were hardwired for. Oh Lord, will you be merciful? Will you give? The second word here is... I think the easiest one for us to miss, in fact, I'd forgotten it until 
working on this this last week. Give us our daily bread. Notice the the um, the plural pronoun. So we don't pray, "Give me my bread." No, we pray, "Give us our prayer." Give us our bread. So it's a family prayer. Lord, will you provide for for me and my family? Lord, will you provide for our precious church family? Lord, will you provide for those who who are in need, who are poor? We think of the families, the children we support at Nokopila School. We pray for them. Give us our daily bread. So, so when we pray for our daily bread, we are praying for our daily bread to share with others. It's plural. Proverbs 22 verse 9 says, A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Isn't that extraordinary? Have you ever thought about that? You will be blessed. Because we share our bread with the poor. So when we pray for God to give us bread, we are praying at the same time, we are committing ourselves to share it when we get it. You see, we can't pray, give us this day our daily bread, and then be unconcerned about the rest of us who are in great need. So it's not just a personal prayer, it's a communal prayer. It's a prayer that expresses our concern for the poor and the needy. So again, notice verse 9 and 10, the first half is dominated by the word your, your name, your kingdom, your will. The second half is dominated not by the word me or my, it's dominated by the word us or our. Give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us, our Father. There's a lovely, there's a lovely children's poem that, uh, that goes like this, but I think it gets it right. It says, you cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say I. You cannot say the Lord's Prayer and even once say my. Nor can you pray the Lord's Prayer and not pray for another. For when you ask for daily bread, you must include your brother. For others are included in each and every plea. From the beginning to the end of it, it never once says me. Isn't that lovely? All right, third word there is the word today or daily. Give us this day. So one of the things we discover in the Bible as we read the Bible is that God's people must live one day at a time. So you remember in the Old Testament when Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years, God provided them with manna. In fact, we read in Exodus 16 verse 4, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. It it was a kind of a flake-like waver. And every day for 40 years, God provided manna from heaven, enough to feed everybody. However, God told them not to collect manna for tomorrow, only to collect manna for today, apart from the Sabbath. No more and no less. So quite amazingly, if they collected manna for the next day or the next week, it, it would be spoilt. It would go rotten. The maggots would get into it. So there's a principle there, and in the Lord's Prayer, that God will give us grace for today. He won't give us grace for tomorrow. He'll give us strength for today, not tomorrow. 
So we, we can plan ahead, but we shouldn't worry ahead. God will provide for today. I mean, have a look at chapter 6, chapter 6, verse, um, where are we? Chapter 6, verse 34. Um, just a few, just a page on. Uh, Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So, I mean, Jesus is saying you can worry about today because you've got to deal with it and you've got to solve the problems and the issues today. But don't worry about tomorrow. That's in God's hands. He will give you grace for today. He'll give you strength for today. I'm a, one of my, one of my struggles, I got many, but one of my struggles is I find that very difficult because I'm a warrior. Uh, um, W-O, not W-A. And uh, uh, so I wake up in the night and I worry about things. And what if uh, this happens? What if he says this? What if, and normally they don't happen. Um, no, the Lord says, I'll give you grace for today. Leave tomorrow in my hands. Think, just think of this past, uh, this past year. Many of us have had some major issues in our lives, major problems. We've had the recession. We're still in the recession. We've had COVID. But think about it. Was there one night you didn't have a bed to sleep in? Was there one day you didn't have bread? Was there one week you didn't have a home to go to? It may not have been your home, but you had a home to go to. No. God provided and our worries were misplaced. Give us this day. And then lastly, give us this day our daily bread. So the word that Jesus uses here is the ordinary word for bread. It's normally used in the Bible um, in this kind of context for the bare necessities of life. Um, food, clothing, warmth, a home. Uh, but it includes praying for Praying for peace, praying, praying for law and order, praying for our government, praying um, for uh, the basic necessities of life. But will you notice, it's important that we notice, that Jesus says we are to pray for our daily bread, not our daily cheesecake. So we've got to get that right. He, God promises to provide for our daily needs, not our daily greeds. So it's, it's bread. It's not a new Merc. It's not a new iPhone. It's not a new outfit. God may bless you with those things, but he doesn't promise to provide you with those things. So the problem arises when we have all we need and then we pray for what we want and then when we don't get it, we get discontented. No, it is bread. And he will provide bread. And then, of course, later in the ministry of Jesus in John chapter 6, Jesus tells us the true source of nourishment, of contentment, which is not found in the bread of this world. Remember what Jesus said, John chapter 6, verse 34. He said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. 
though God will provide our basic needs and we are to depend upon him for those, we also understand that true contentment is not found ultimately in the bread of this world. It's only found in the bread of life, in the Lord Jesus himself. So there we have the first, there we have the first uh, prayer, daily provision. So having prayed for daily provision, will you notice verse 12? He prays for daily pardon. Notice verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, there's at least three things that we can learn from verse 12. I think the first is that what we really have here is the mark of a true Christian, that we regularly admit our sin. We regularly admit that we've blown it. We regularly admit not only that we're not perfect, more than that, we are sinners. We are in God's debt we deserve God's punishment. So we do that almost every Sunday. So we have a prayer book, and uh, we put the prayers up on the screen. So let me read one of the prayers. We've, we've often prayed this, uh, a prayer of confession. Uh, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll know the words, Almighty God, Heavenly Father, we confess that we have failed you in our thoughts and words and deeds. Because we are sinners by nature, we have strayed from your ways, and not only have we done wrong, but we have failed to do right. Lord, you alone can forgive sin, have mercy on us, pardon our sins, and help us to serve you, not only with our lips, but with our lives, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I mean, we do that, don't we? You know, we don't even realize how revolutionary that is. I think the church is probably the only society that when they regularly meet together, say, we are failures. We are sinners by nature and by word, thought, and deed. I mean, we don't find that in our society. I mean, think about it. Uh, you're having dinner, uh, um, and uh, you, you're the mother, you're the, you're the wife, and you've just discovered that um, someone has, has eaten all the chocolates that you had hidden away for a special, special occasion for the family. And, and you're furious because you had kept this and you have your secret places where you have to hide these things. Um, uh, I found most of Jean's secret places, but she finds new ones. Anyway, so you're at supper and all the chocolates have been eaten. And you are furious and you say, who, who ate the chocolates? And there's your husband and there's the two or three kids and no one says a word. And the kids look at each other. And uh, um, I can remember in, when, when the girls were still with us that, that, that I keep quiet. I mean, I've, I've eaten the chocolate. I keep quiet, guys. Let them take the heat. It's a bit more difficult now because it's only Jean and me. So uh, <laughs> no one admits. Imagine tomorrow morning you at a board meeting. You're at a department meeting. Forgive me for mentioning uh, Monday morning. And, and a big problem happened last week, and it was due to human error. And the committee that's responsible for that issue is meeting. And the tension is high. You can, 
you can uh, you can you can you can cut it. It's so it's so uh, it's so high. And uh, the the person leading the, the the meeting wants to know who is responsible. I mean, does anyone speak up? Very rare. No, I'm not responsible. I didn't agree with that decision. Uh, um, I wasn't. No, no, no. I wasn't part of that. No, one of the signs of a Christian is that we admit we are sinners. Hopefully saved by grace. That means you're a Christian. And so you're quite happy. Sometimes it's hard, but it is the mark of us Christians. One of my regrets as a father uh, with our younger children is that I didn't often enough um, ask them to forgive me. So perhaps one day I would say some harsh words because I'm tired, I'm under stress. And I regret that um, too seldom would I the next day say, guys, I'm just sorry about yesterday. I, I was a bit harsh. Please forgive me. And I, so, I, so I regret that I didn't do that more um, because that is the mark of a Christian. So the person who says, I don't need to be forgiven or I don't need forgiveness, really doesn't have a clue, do they? Not a clue. Our greatest sin is not lying or stealing or adultery. Those are serious sins and they have serious consequences. But our greatest sin is our autonomy from God, our independence from God, our rebellion against God, where we practically live as if there is no God. We are practical atheists. That is our greatest sin. Jesus said the first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Has any of us kept those two commandments perfectly for a minute? No. Did, did you notice the order there, just by, by the way? It's God, your neighbor, myself. We get it the other way around. Myself, perhaps my neighbor, and God, if I need him. In the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon was one of the great preachers in London, a uh, Baptist minister, and um, wonderful sermons. You can get them and read them. And uh, one day, one of the members of his congregation came to speak to him with a big smile. And she said, Dr. Spurgeon, I just want you to know I haven't sinned for three months. And uh, he, he very wisely said to her, Madam, you must be... Very proud of that. All right, third thing here is second thing. Your second thing. What's the time, Martin? Daily, daily pardon. It's a mark of a Christian. Secondly, it's affirming your faith in Christ. When you pray and forgive us our debts, it's affirming your faith in Christ. Sin is likened to a debt because it deserves to be punished. Forgive us our debts. We know that only God can do that. And he can only do that because Christ bore the punishment. Christ paid the debt. Christ was punished in our place. Because of the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross, the substitutionary atonement, because he quenched the wrath of God that we deserve for our debts, because of that, 
he is able to forgive us. So when we pray that, we are affirming our faith in Christ as our Savior, rescuing us from our sin and from God's judgment. The third thing just to notice here is that um, it's a sign, a sign that a sign that you are forgiven is that you are able to forgive others. So notice verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In fact, Jesus believes it's so important that he fleshes it out in verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now that's a pretty, I mean, it's a strong statement. Now, it's important to understand what Jesus is not saying and important to understand what he is saying. He's not saying that God's forgiveness, God's grace is conditional on you forgiving other people. That is salvation by works. That is not the gospel. What he is saying is, if you have truly experienced God's grace and forgiveness, the evidence will be seen that you are able to forgive others. That's what he's saying. When you understand the nature of your sin against God and that God has had mercy upon you, well, one of the signs that you understand God's amazing grace is that you are able to offer grace to others. Remember Matthew 18, there was that parable that Jesus told of a king in his mercy canceled this enormous debt of one of his servants. And then the servant went out and refused to cancel the tiny debt compared to his debt owed, owed by one of the other servants. Remember that parable. You can look it up later in Matthew chapter 18. And when the king heard of that, he called in the original servant and said, You wicked servant, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers until he should pay his debt. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Yo, yo, yo. People who say that Christianity is a crutch uh, don't have a clue what they're talking about. This is tough. This is tough. It's understanding that my rebellion against God was so monstrous. It was such an infinite crime. And if God has forgiven me of that infinite monstrous crime, then the true evidence that I understand God's grace is that I can forgive others their finite crime against me. Now, here's a question that I'm often asked. If someone, let me just pick this up for a couple of minutes. If someone hasn't apologized, if they haven't asked for forgiveness, must I forgive them? Surely they must ask. Now, if we are Christians and we have wronged someone, it is our duty to confess our sins and to ask someone to forgive us. However, there will be many cases where others will not do that. And there will sometimes be deep, deep things, deep things, deep sins 
maybe a messy divorce, maybe abuse, maybe a partner who's run off with your life savings, uh, maybe someone's betrayed you. And those are not simple things. Some of those are deep, deep scars and deep, deep wounds. And sometimes it needs time to forgive. Sometimes, sometimes it does take weeks. Sometimes it does take months. But at the end of the day, the Bible is quite clear. We are to forgive even the unrepentant. So in Matthew 5, I'll look at Matthew 5, just a few uh, verses back. Matthew 5, verse, where are we? Verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. My dear friends, you cannot love your enemies if you hate them, if you haven't forgiven them. I mean, Jesus modeled that for us when he was on the cross. You remember, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Question, just another question that uh, someone's asked me. If, if, if I've forgiven someone, do I still, do I have to be friends with them? I, I remember a couple of years back, I preached at um, Northcliffe Union Church, and, and a lady wanted to speak to me afterwards. Uh, and uh, she was a divorcee. She divorced her husband. There had been multiple adulteries. And um, she said her Christian friends were saying to her that she needed to not just forgive her ex-husband, but she needed to be friends with him. And she wanted to know what, what my opinion was. So I asked her, have you forgiven him? She said, yes. I asked her, do you have hatred and bitterness against him in your heart? because that'll be the sign. And she said, no, I have forgiven him. And I said to her, you don't have to be friends with him. Friendship is based on trust. There's too much water, water under the bridge. You don't have to be friends with him, but you must forgive him. Another question that, that, uh, that people have asked, and this will have many applications, uh, but let me put it this way. If a, if a burglar has cleaned out your house, should you forgive him or report him to the police? Should you forgive him or report him to the police? Well, the answer is both. Personally, subjectively, you are to forgive him. That's what the Bible says. Objectively, the state must see that justice is done. So it's not either or, it's both and. You see, it's the mark of a Christian to forgive. Unforgiveness, that doesn't, that doesn't mean we're soft on justice like we've just seen. It's not that we're soft on justice. We either see that the state sees that justice is done or God will see that justice is done. But we do not take revenge. We do not repay evil with evil. Unforgiveness, you've heard me say this before, is like preparing a glass of poison for your enemy and then you drink it yourself. It will destroy you. It will eat you alive. And some of you know that and have experienced that. And I beg of you to ask God to help you. You can't do it on your own. Ask God to help you. Because you will have freedom. And I'm just thinking, Proud's right here. He did a testimony on the Gospel Coalition of how God helped him. You can look it up 
to forgive those who had hurt him. So thank you, Proud. All right, lastly, time is gone. Daily protection, daily provision, daily pardon, daily protection. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Again, what is Jesus not saying and what is he saying? He's not saying that God will lead us into temptation. God will never lead us into sin. The rest of the Bible is very clear about that. What it is saying, it's the idea, do not let us be overcome by temptation. Protect us from being drawn into sin. So it's the two halves. Notice verse 13, there are two halves. Lord, just as we ask you to deliver us from evil or the evil one, so Lord, we ask you not allow temptation to overwhelm us. So the Bible is quite clear. There's a real devil. There are real evil spirits. They have real power. 1 Peter 5 verse 8, your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Pretty powerful words, strong words. Our enemy, the devil, and his spirits are crafty. They are, they, are, they are treacherous. They are powerful. They are relentless. They are persistent. Remember, the devil and the spirits are more powerful than you and me on our own. Remember that. We cannot withstand either temptation or evil on our own. If you think you can do it, it won't be long and you fall. Evil, the devil, they are too dangerous to handle on their own. That's why we ask the Lord to rescue us, to deliver us from evil and the evil one. Now, just before I close, you will know from, from the prayers in church that uh, often added to the Lord's Prayer has been the words, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So uh, that's not part of the original, you'll notice, either in Matthew's Gospel or Luke's Gospel. That was added in by uh, through practice and custom in the early church, probably from around about the second century. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's, uh, it's part of the spirit of the prayer. So there's nothing wrong to include it. There's nothing wrong to exclude it. But it wasn't in the original. And what it's teaching us, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Well, that's biblical truth. It is the spirit of the prayer, but it's not in the original. Let me close. So what we have here, this is, this is our revolution song. And it's primarily about God. But here's the prototype for our prayers. Here's the ABC of talking to God. Dearest Dad, dear Father. In the first half, we need to live for God's glory. The second half, we need to receive God's grace. Isn't that a wonderful prayer? Well, let's pray. And in, I'm going to give you a few moments of quiet as we reflect on God's word. And then will you join me as we say together this prayer in Matthew 6 as we close. So let's pray. Let's spend a few moments in quiet as we reflect on God's word.
Perhaps there are sins that you need to take seriously and spend time with God to talk about. Perhaps there's bitterness or anger or rage that has consumed you. And you need God's Spirit, like we all do, to help you to get rid of it. Perhaps our glory, our name, perhaps the glory, the name, the kingdom has been about me and not about God. Well, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, once again, as we sit under your authority and the authority of your word, we are mindful again of how far short we fall. And, oh Lord, will you have mercy on us? Will you have mercy on us when we are not devoted to your glory, but devoted to our own glory? Oh Lord, that's so true of all of us. Forgive us, Lord, when we have not been dependent on your grace, where we try to do things on our own, and Lord, we've mucked up and messed up. Will you forgive us? Will you cleanse us? Will you wash us again and again? Lord, some of us have some deep, deep things that we need to deal with with you. Deep things. Oh, Lord, will you give your spirit, your presence, your power to help them deal with those deep things? and find peace and joy in our dear Father. So, Lord, go with us into this week. Help us to serve you and live for you. And we pray these things for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, thank you so, so much for joining us and being with us. We're going to be back, God willing, next week, next Sunday, and we'll start in a new series in the book of Colossians. I'll be opening up chapter 1, verse 1 to 14, so you may want to read that before next week. God bless you, and have a good week.